One of my favorite books that I read this year actually came out in 2017. I read it last month and before I even finished it, I was about halfway through and it was so enlightening, so eye-opening to these aspects of the human experience that we don't talk about that I thought, okay, we have to do this for the podcast. That book is called Born Both. It's by Hida Valoria. Hida is one of the leading intersex and non-binary activists. They're also the founder of the Intersex Campaign for Equality, which, as you'll hear, alongside Lambda Legal, was responsible for the U.S. finally issuing the first passport with an X under the sex and gender marker. Now, for those who don't know, intersex people are born with sex characteristics, so that's genitals, gonads, chromosome patterns, that don't fit the typical binary notions that we have about male or female bodies. And there are many ways to be intersex. It's a term that describes a wide range of natural variations in the body. Sometimes it's more apparent, as you'll hear Hita talk about with their body, but also it should be noted that intersex people can have bodies that look like what we consider to be typically male or female. The intersex experience is a real blind spot that we have, one that is almost entirely absent from public discussions about sex and gender, and so I'm really excited to have Hida here today on LGBTQ&A. We are brought to you by The Advocate Magazine in partnership with Vlad. I'm Jeffrey Masters. Let's hear it. So I don't want to spend the entire conversation comparing being intersex to being trans. However, one comparison that I do find very interesting is that the trans community in recent years has done a lot of work to move the public conversation about being trans away from bodies. But for intersex people, we're actually only talking about the body, right? So it's complicated. For intersex people, obviously, we have to talk about the body because it's our very bodies that are being attacked. We've been basically under the knife to erase our intersexness. From the minute it's spotted at birth, and in some cases it's not spotted till later, till adolescence, etc. But if it is spotted at birth, like immediately there's this extreme reaction. And honestly, you know, if you stop to think about it, and for all of us who are familiar with it, it's totally based on homophobia and transphobia as well, the reactions, as well as, you know, specifically interphobia, right, if you're of intersex people. But the reactions from the very beginning are about, well, if this child isn't really a regular boy or girl, then what's their sexual orientation, right? Don't they have to be queer immediately? Or could they pop out with a non-binary gender identity when they get older? And what is that? That's transition. So really, they're trying to fix us to make sure we don't end up being LGB or T. And the body part, though, just to put a point on that, we really do have to be careful not to erase the whole intersex community in this kind of pressure within the trans community not to focus on the body. You know, so in this way, there's so much overlap between, you know, how our enemies treat both communities and some commonalities that we experience like as adults. But the huge difference is that we have to let the whole world be aware that intersex bodies exist, that like people aren't just born male or female, right? Because that's what doctors and society in general is trying to erase. And contributing to that 
erasure to like the intersex community being so often so invisible. I have to assume that, you know, as a society, at least in the United States, it's a conservative place. And we're told that we're not allowed to discuss one's private parts in public. You know, it's called private. Yeah, I love that you focused on that because that's one of our biggest challenges in a way. Like we've got these multiple challenges. On the one hand, yes, private parts are private parts and people don't want to talk about it. And I think that's why most people like me who weren't operated on, because there's, I know a bunch of us, right? I think one of the reasons they're not talking about it more is because in doing so, you have to start revealing your private details. The reason I decided to do it is because you know, I'd already done a lot of human rights activism for other issues, for people of color, for LGB folks, and it was kind of before the T started. And I just thought, you know, just like I saw the gay movement do, you know, when, when gay people first came out, people knew what it was. There was a, an advantage there, but they didn't know what gay sex was. So I remember the conversations like when someone would come out in the 80s, 90s, the general public was like, why are you telling me about your sex life? Right. It was seen as this affront, like the way that saying you're intersex now is like, why are you telling me about your private parts or what are you telling me about? Back then it was about sex. Oh, my God, I could not hear enough. Like, how do lesbians even have sex? I had to answer that question for years. The whole gay and lesbian community had to desensitize the entire world to the fact that like being gay or lesbian. Yeah, we have different kinds of sex. And now they don't have to do it anymore, but it's because of all the early activists. So that's kind of where the intersex community is now, right? I feel like I've just got to get it out there and desensitize the world into like, who are we? What do we look like? What is it about? And being intersex does present itself in different ways for different people. For you, is it okay to say you've talked about your enlarged clitoris? Sure. Okay, I want to say that because I think you hit a nail over the head by something that you wrote in your book. I wrote it down. While many doctors would refer to my clitoris as grossly enlarged, I have to tell you that having an overabundance of the only organ in the human body whose sole purpose is pleasure is far from a negative thing. That was the quote. I think that, you know, this thing that quote unquote makes you different, you know, by luck is a part of your body that gives you immense pleasure. Yeah. You know, when I learned that that was what made me intersex, it was like there was no stigma for me because it was associated with these wonderful experiences. The reason I did my memoir is because I felt like there's a story that we don't hear enough of about intersex people, which is that it's amazing and wonderful to be intersex. It's been more amazing than being a person of color, for example, because I did get a lot of racism as a kid and it was really hard and it made me suicidal at one point. Being intersex was really confusing before I found out, right, what I was. And that's something that kids today will never need to go through because the Internet's out and, and it's out there and people know what intersex is. And you can easily find out and not only find the definition, but like see videos by people and, you know, learn so many things that I wasn't able to learn. And so with forcing intersex kids and babies many times to undergo these surgeries, which I don't know how you can't find that to be horrifying. Can you help us understand the scale of that? Is that the standard recommendation from doctors and the medical community? Yes, basically. Well, so here's what I'll say. It's changed, fortunately, heavily in the last four years. Like starting in May of 2017, that's when the three former Surgeon Generals actually recommended not doing these surgeries on kids. 
there's been like five different medical associations as well as Amnesty International, the UN, all recommending that these surgeries not be done. However, in California, for example, they tried to pass a ban and the American Medical Association of California blocked it very strongly, as did the American Urology Association. Wow. There's talk about not doing these surgeries, but when it actually kind of comes up on the ground, they are still happening. So two hospitals have said that they won't do them anymore, which is incredible. Lurie's in Chicago and Boston Children's Hospital. But the activists actually working with those hospitals are both looking at, uh-oh, there's loopholes. Then some doctors will get involved, like when they were opposing the ban, right, on these surgeries, they were trying to blur the line and try to say that these cosmetic surgeries are medically necessary under a kind of psychological model of medical necessity. So that that's super dangerous. It's also super unethical. They know they're cosmetic. They know that plenty of people have survived without them. And they refuse to talk about the happy cases and the truth that you can be different and still love yourself. And the data and anecdotally, the vast majority of intersex people who have had these surgeries forced on them as a kid without consent, the vast majority do regret it. Exactly. I've had to tell some people that, you know, just because someone was happy with a human rights abuse doesn't mean we should be listening to those voices. There were also women, you know, back during the suffragette era, they did a poll in England of women about the right to vote. And the majority voted against the right to vote. <laughs> Their poll results. It's really important to remember history, right? Because what happens is when there's a group that's been so marginalized and told since they were little that they're inferior, they begin to believe they're inferior, right? And they might even participate in things that are not fighting for their own equality because they can't even imagine that, right? So I think what's really great for allies to do is just think of us in the same vein as you would any other community that you do human rights work for. I still see allies saying people with disorders of sex development. You're not saying that about trans people. No one's saying in every, every time trans people are written about, like they have gender identity disorder that they struggle with. Like we don't talk about trans people that way. Yet we do that very frequently still about intersex people. And a big portion of like why that happens, like the big advocacy groups that set our language and tell us like what words to use in the vocab often leave intersex out. Yeah. Another reason people don't know who we are is because our label has been changing so often. We have actually existed from the beginning of time. We are in ancient Judaic scriptures. In the Talmud, there's a name for us. They describe our bodies, and we are called androgynous, almost just like androgyny, right? And in native cultures and indigenous cultures, there's always been a name. And in Western culture, we were hermaphrodites. When the U.S. movement began... The newsletter of the first organization was Hermaphrodites with Attitude. I mean, I actually didn't know if hermaphrodite was a derogatory word or not. It wasn't. Like, here's the thing. I've seen it called the H word in places. And I'm a little offended, actually, by that. Like, as a Latinx person, I'm like, mm. you know, the N word was a slur. Hermaphrodite was just our label for centuries, based off a very cool, beautiful myth where we were actually gods. Like Hermaphroditus was a beautiful god. That's the story. But unfortunately, when we changed it to intersex, 
that was a word only being used by scientists and in medicine, and the general public didn't know it at all. This all reminds me of a story you wrote about in the book, which was in 1996, there was this gathering of intersex people. And I, I believe it was the first gathering of intersex people in history that we know of. And there were 11 people there. Then there's this moment where one of the things you decided to do was like stand in a circle and everybody to like expose your genitals to each other. What was the like intention and purpose there? It was basically to reclaim our bodies and send love and acceptance to our bodies in a world that is literally trying to eliminate them. And it was one of the most powerful things that I've ever experienced in two ways. One, a very negative way. I got to see, you know, what a clitoridectomy looks like, and it was just heartbreaking. I got to see all these types of scars that should never have existed that literally don't need to be there because these were healthy children when they happened. And then on the flip side, sometimes being out as someone without these surgeries, it's a really weird psychological place. And it's sometimes been kind of difficult and, you know, bringing up feelings of guilt or like, why me? Why did I escape? And then it's also this thing of like, well, don't I have to be more different to be intersex? Like, why wasn't I cut? Like, is my clit you know, big, but not big enough to make me intersex, right? Or I would have been cut too. And so I expressed some of these doubts to one of the people there, you know, and that like, I felt weird about being there. And she looked at me and she said, no, I'm so happy you're here. You show me what I could have been. That makes me almost want to tear up because it's just, I do find it heartbreaking that anyone should have to feel that way that like we're undergoing this gender side and like there's a few escapees who can show the world what it is like. It's a, it's a terrible place. And I, I'm just happy, honestly, that we are really advancing as a society. And I know this will be a thing of the past. I really understand that people, you know, may not have the bandwidth to take on a whole new cause. And so really what I'm just hoping people do, because you get that question, what can we do? And it's, it's very easy. You can all just start talking about the fact that we exist, right? When you see these things about like breaking the binary, I see so many articles out of LGBTQ places where they literally are talking about breaking the binary and not once are intersex people mentioned. And that kind of exclusion is really harmful to us. And, and here's another example of exclusion that happened like for me in my life. You know, in the U.S. now, you can get a passport, an official U.S. passport with an X under the gender marker, which is a huge victory. The person at the heart of the case of the six-year legal battle was Dana Zim. They're an intersex person and also non-binary. And in all the press I heard, this was being presented as a victory for non-binary people. The intersex part of that was being downplayed. And that is something that I just assumed was like only affecting non-binary people. You know, that was a blind spot for me, for sure. Wow. Ah. Dana decided to do this, and they did it for their driver's license in like 2011 and didn't win that case. So really, this is like a 10-year battle to establish the fact that we need more than M or F as our sex slash gender markers. They refer to both, so I, I like to say sex gender markers. And so Dana's been fighting this battle, right? They came to me in 2014 with the Intersex Campaign for Equality. I had wanted to do it. But I didn't have, A, the VA medical records that Dana had. Dana's a vet, and they have all these government medical records saying that they are not male or female, but intersex, which was incredibly useful. 
for the lawsuit. They also had a birth certificate that said unknown, which was incredibly useful. And so they came to me like, is this something we could do together in the Oregon? I was like, hell yeah. Oh, so like the behind the scenes of like the movement building is like Dana like has all these checkboxes. Yeah. And, and I was like, let us do this. Because if we're trying to let the world accept intersex people as we are, we need to be recognized legally on the basis of sex. Because basically what happens is it's not even all the doctor's fault. This baby's born and they're like, well, we only have M or F. So what are we going to do? I mean, it's their fault to assume they have to cut us to put us into M or Fs, right? Because they don't. So we need to legally establish for our survival, right? It goes way beyond gender identity. Because honestly, I could give a F about my gender identity. You know what I mean? Like, it's great to have it match, it's wonderful, but I've lived a full life with it being off my entire life. It was never F. And so it's really about ending this gender side for our own survival and for all the kids being cut up so that their parents later, the future parents will be like, oh, they're intersex, we see these adults. Oh yeah, okay, I can leave my kid. And later, if they feel intersex as they grow up, if that's their gender identity, right? Like they can have an ex. Even to grow up just knowing there's like a different possibility. Yeah. That there are many possibilities for like one's gender and sex. Yeah. You know, one of the things that makes my story so different is that there's not all of this social isolation that doctors have been speculating about and kind of scaring parents about into believing that if you leave your intersex kid as they are, they will be a socially isolated person with no relationships and no friends, right? And that's, you know, another reason I want to tell my story is because it is like the opposite of that. I just think that that's such an important part of my message and the general message about being intersex is like, we can have just as much fun and just as much sex and just as many relationships and just as much love in our life as everyone else. And arguably, as a lot of close friends have told me, like, more so. <laughs> was this something that you realized about yourself and your own experience in that, like, 96 gathering when you started to meet other intersex people? Or was it before that? It was before and after. Like, and, and not to, it's weird to talk about this because it sounds braggy, and I hate to do that, but it's an important part of the message. Please brag, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, okay. So when I came out in college, and even before that, like, the first guy I slept with in high school because I wanted to see what sex was like and literally no one was out as queer. So I had no options to sleep with a, a woman or a girl, right? We were girls. The first guy I had sex with proposed marriage. So that was positive. Then later I go to college and finally I'm able to start sleeping with women and I have like every girlfriend I want and more, right? And it's just like a theme throughout my life to where I've had several male friends. I've had like several of them approach me like, God, I think it is because you're intersex, right? Like, what is the mojo? I mean, is it as, like, simple as, like, you are intersex and you love that about yourself and, like, that confidence is sexy? I'm going to go with that because other people I've seen that have that, it's, it's true. And I think it's for everyone, right? If you love who you are, and I think of a lot of gay men that I love who were, like, my role models as, you know, as an activist, as a marginalized person— they loved who they were. They're like, you know what? Fuck you all. We're fabulous. Like, right? Like, so it, it, it is sexy. And especially now that so many intersex youth are embracing their androgyny and they're coming out as non-binary and that's how they feel. Like, this is really the nug of it, right? Like, we need to create a sexy space 
We're sexy. <laughs> and just to have that official third gender and sex option on official government forms, like a passport, you know, that legal recognition, it's hard to overstate how significant that is. It's massive, except it shouldn't be, right? Like it's massive because it took so long and there was so much resistance, but it's actually just reality. Ancient cultures, like all other cultures, until we reach the age of colonization, every society recognized us. Like, we've always been here. You know, there are creation myths that feature intersex people. Plato wrote about intersex people in, like, 370 BCE. We've always been here, and yet it's amazing that it was so hard to get the U.S. government to admit it. Is there any worry or fear that a new administration can undo that? No, I don't. None of us have really been afraid of that, especially because, you know, it's already happening in other countries, right, as well. So this is really not like a new thing that's happening here that they can decide to change. And the U.S. has been recognizing X's for other countries. There's 13 other countries that now use an X. Right. And it's like a lot of European countries and then even other countries also like Bangladesh, Nepal, New Zealand, Australia, Malta, Germany, Argentina, Austria. Like I can't remember them all, but a ton of countries. Right. So we finally return to the ancient knowledge that, yes, there are people who are intersex and trans who have existed since the beginning of time. There's evidence. Well, you know, going off of that, you are intersex and are non-binary, and you had a fascinating insight about the limits of our language. You are trans, and you point out you are also cis, something that I would have said is not possible. Can you talk a bit about why that label cis actually does fit you? I actually feel more cis than trans in certain ways because, you know, when I was coming out as intersex, I was also coming out as non-binary. And the majority of my friends were trans. The big difference that I had from my trans friends is that they were all going through the challenges, right, to accessing trans-affirming healthcare. And they were also dealing with all of that outside criticism, aka transphobia, around why don't you just accept the gender that is associated with your body, right? What's wrong with you, right? You're clearly a male. What makes you say you're a woman, right? Like I was seeing all the early days reactions of that transphobia. And I don't have to experience that because my gender identity does align with my sex, right? And my sex at birth. To me, that's a really cis experience. That's cis privilege. I didn't have to go through that feeling of like, wow, my my body, my traits don't match my gender identity. They actually match really well. And so you were born intersex and you identify as intersex. Exactly. It's and and there is an ease to that. And then, you know, technically, you know, according to the the second definition of cis, it used to say your sex at birth, right? And then it became your gender identity doesn't align with the sex you were assigned at birth, right? So that kind of makes all intersex people trans right off the bat, because we're all assigned male or female. And so then you have people who, let's say, they were assigned female and they feel very female. Most of them are cut up and deal with constant, weird, invasive conversations about their genitals or their health issues from their doctors or others. So they don't have cis privilege either, really, like the real nug of it. So 
I think we, we should come up with, with a better term because, you know, the problem, the reason why I'm both cis and trans, right, is because I am non-binary in multiple ways and that's not really accounted for within the cis-trans binary kind of framework. Well, Hida, thank you so much for taking the time to be here and for being so enlightening. This was fantastic. Oh, thank you, Jeffrey. And thank you for really wanting to enlighten the world as you do, and especially about intersex folks. Thank you. And that was Hida Valoria. Their memoir that we spoke about is called Born Both. And I should also note that they have a new book out. It's a science book that they co-authored that is called The Spectrum of Sex, The Science of Male, Female, and Intersex. Big thank you to Sam McConnell who connected me with Hida. And next week we're back with our last episode of the year. I will see you there. But in the meantime, if you are feeling that holiday cheer and want to help us out, please share this interview with one person in your life or post on social media to everyone you know, one or the other. But seriously, when you help us spread the word about the podcast, it helps other people find our show, and that is the biggest way you can help us grow. So thank you so much to everyone who does that. We're brought to you by The Advocate Magazine in partnership with GLAAD. I'm Jeffrey Masters on Twitter and Instagram at JeffMasters1. Come find me. I'll see you next week. Bye.